I decided I needed to get out of the big city for a while to search for cinema spoilers in the wild. So I hopped in my old Camino and I took off for the open road. It wasn't long before I took a left turn into the surreal. A fly landed on my arm and I got the shivers. The sounds of a typewriter filled my ears. And I was so tired I felt like I was in a dead zone. That's when my eyes caught the sight of a sign that said, Welcome to Cronenberg. Behind that sign was a place that was a dead ringer for home. As I pulled in the parking lot, I realized no matter where I go, I can always find the spoiler room. And welcome, my friends. Yes, we hopped in our car for the last time for the year as we take a trip once again to the spoiler room in Cronenberg. Yes, that's right. We're visiting Cronenberg one last time with his 2012 film Cosmopolis. And I thought it was very appropriate that I started this journey with uh, the crew member that I have with me tonight. And we are ending this journey with the same crew member. We welcome again to the spoiler room none other than the talented and lovely Mr. Andrew Shearer. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Mark, man, it's an honor, dude. I I I think this was a great idea. Cronenberg's one of my favorite directors. I would listen to every episode, even if I wasn't part of it. Sometimes <laughs> I forget that I was part of some of them. I'm like, oh shit, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am I'm really stoked about the, you know that this thing that you saw it through to the end. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be part of it. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> well, we're, we're happy to have you part of uh, most of the episodes throughout the year. And uh, we it was a bit of a tough decision. At first, I was going to go with a different film, possibly for the end of the year. But after talking with you and looking at the body of work that we did w uh, watch each month and, and how we've explored how Cronenberg had developed, when you described this film and I looked at the, you know, the description and everything, I thought Cosmopolis, yes, is probably the more uh, apropos, if you will, the more appropriate ending to uh, our journey through Cronenberg because this one is, oh, this one's definitely interesting. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, did you want to give the synopsis of Cosmopolis? Oh, I'd be happy to. Uh, Cosmopolis is a... Uh science fiction dystopian science fiction movie kind of a comedy in a way <laughs> kind of a satire uh, about a billionaire named eric packer played by robert pattinson and uh he is on his way to get a haircut in his fortified limousine yeah <laughs> well that's that is the basic he's just wanting to get a haircut uh, good old eric packer he's a He's a, a billionaire, a young twenty late twenty somethings billionaire who made it big early, but unfortunately, as we find out over the early course of the film, uh, he made a bad choice, and he's on his way to financial ruin, and along the way to his haircut, it takes him forever, and he goes through meeting a lot of uh, different characters from his life as we watch him slowly uh, go to try to get his hair cut. And it, yeah, it kind of circles around. Um, this was a first watch for me. And it's one of those that was on my list for a long time. 
And yeah, I, I'll give my reaction for a minute, but I want to know, Andrew, for you, when you first saw this film, uh, what, what did you think of it? I was honestly happy to get a return to f- classic Cronenberg form, you know, because as much as I enjoy uh, Spider and History of Violence and Eastern Promises and Dangerous Method, I was like, is are we going to ever get him back? I hate to see it because those are, like I said, those are great movies, you know, uh, but I was just like, uh, there's there's just something some kind of loose end about existence. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. No. It, it just seemed yeah. like it you can't just stop there mm-hmm. when at ninety nine when you aren't even at the internet yet. You're not even at nine eleven yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I I wanted to see, just give me one more, man. Just one one you know, come come back for one more. And so I was just I was head over heels with it, quite honestly. And I it may be the first movie I'd ever seen Robert Pattinson in, to be honest. Really? Because I didn't, I didn't see the, I didn't see the Twilights, and that's all mm-hmm. I knew him from. Um, and so, uh, he, he turned out to be like the perfect vessel for this. I mean, it it's a pretty massive undertaking for any actor. So, um, yeah, I was just, I, I walked away very impressed with him, but mostly just very happy that uh, uh, to see Cronenberg kind of tie this thing back up. In, in the way that he did. Yeah, he does with this. And it, um, watching it at first, I was taken a little aback by it, but having watched the other Cronenberg films, I think it kind of prepared me for, for this and the world that you're ended up, uh, kind of dumped into for, uh, Cosmopolis because yeah, you're right. It is, it, it they don't give, I don't think they really give a year, in the film, um, not that it really matters, uh, but it you know it, it's just in some slightly alternate time because there's a there's a kind of class warfare with riots going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he he's got kind of advanced technology in his stretch limo, which is where pretty much the majority of this film takes place is in his stretch limo, and. At first, I was just, I was just taken aback by it, but as I watched it and and real you know thought putting it in the context of okay, this is a Cronenberg film, I really was just fascinated by where it went because um, the the dialogue plays out, and maybe I make too much of this, but the dialogue throughout this film feels almost like poetry. Yeah, no, it is poetry. To be honest, I don't. I don't think that, um, you know, any of it is meant to be taken like as, as like a straight narrative. It's, a, uh, it's his most experimental movie since, that he's made since he was young, mm-hmm. you know, like those early ones that we talked about, uh, stereo and crimes of the future. Um, I was also, I really loved how he kind of went back to that. You know, I don't think, uh, because the way that the dialogue is spoken, you can't like, it's not nothing is spelled out for you to understand it it really aids in uh, the person being able to take it as art and make up your own mind there there's a lot of uh metaphors and and entendres and innuendos and all kinds of things in the dialogue to where if someone takes this film 
as its face value of just watching it, I could see where some people might be taken aback by it. Now, I'm not familiar with the novel it's based off of at all, but if you take it as a straight narrative and take everything in it literal, I can really see where some people would be just going, what the hell? I mean, in all honesty, I was still saying what the hell, but at the same time, <laughs> you, you know, at some points, but then my uh, interesting thing happened while watching this film is my brain started coming up with its own theory of what exactly was going on, mm -hmm. which is what you were talking about, which I think Cronenberg is kind of going for with this and that, yeah, he's got his own meaning in this film, but uh, there's a lot of opportunity in here for you to start piecing together, you know, on your own, what it means to you for like me, the way I looked at it, uh, because as uh, our uh, main billionaire, he finds he made a bad investment in a 24 hour uh, futures uh, investment stock market that ran 24 hours a day, unlike the Dow. And unfortunately, by the mid morning, he realizes he's going to lose all of his money. Basically, guy's going to go broke. But he still wants to go get a haircut, and he's still watching the numbers as they go, and he meets people from his life. Now, Andrew, I, I know he probably is actually literally seeing these people, but the way Cronenberg handles these characters that he shows up, I almost took it as these people were appearing, he was imagining these people him talking to him like he was talking exploring and this is the way i just took it and i know it's probably off but uh his inner self all these different characters and people he's meeting except for maybe his his wife his arranged marriage wife um are people that he is imagining he's talking to when he's in the vehicle when you know the fact that it's not actually they're not actually there it's all yeah. him, and he's riding in the stretch limo, which could be, okay, I'm, I might be making a puddle, a lake out of a puddle, but the stretch limo is kind of his his sanity of sorts or his, his, his grip on reality because the, the stretch limo gets spray-painted and dirty, and as he's traveling to where he gets his haircut, the neighborhood is getting worse and more run down and poorer, as he's getting poorer. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, man. And I think what you're picking up on, uh, as far as the other characters are concerned, is that um, he really is in his own world in there. Mm -hmm. And it's because he is so far removed from uh, humanity and from reality. And so um, those people seem like not entirely human or not entirely real. Because he begins the movie not entirely human. He's very much kind of an alien. You could see that you could see that limo almost as a spaceship, you know? And so those those people that come in and aided by the weird dialogue or the way that it's spoken, uh, it's just so disconnected from uh, from humanity. And that's one of the things I love about Cosmopolis as a Cronenberg movie is because he made all these movies about people turning into monsters or becoming this other thing. And Cosmopolis is so fucking awesome because the man begins, if you want to call it that, as a 
alien or monster and gradually becomes human as the story goes. Yeah, you're right. He he is it, it's like reverse Cronenberg yeah. <laughs> in a way. Almost a reverse of Crimes of the Future, but again, he manages to somehow make this feel like it could fit in the same world as the first film we watched this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what uh uh, surprised me the most with it is the fact that I, I was like, here he is, however many decades later, he's making this film, and it could still fit right in with Crimes of the Future. Uh, that same world, in, in a different part of the world, but it could still fit in there. You know, a same with the, the Shivers and, and Rabbit, and <laughs> I mean, you really could... That's why I kind of named the special Cronenberg is that these films all could take place in the same reality. Yeah, yeah, and and they, uh, what's great about you mentioning uh, Crimes of the Future is that, you know, Cronenberg was approaching all of that from the standpoint of a person who would have rather written novels. Like, I, right. from what I know, he wanted to be a novelist, and so for him to kind of come back here at the end and do another like really warped thing about humanity in the future and have the prose be, I, I want to say he took, I don't think he changed any of the, the line, the dialogue from the book. Really? Cause I, I think the book was written specifically to have that sort of uh, kind of prose quality to it. And so I don't feel like, I feel like he maybe didn't touch it. I could be wrong about that, but I think it's kind of the point, the way that they talk. So I couldn't, and the book is also short. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's just a couple of hundred pages, from what I know. Uh, I don't, I don't own it, but this is, uh, you know, I've picked it up a couple of times. But like, um, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of the point that it's that it's more of a more more kind of poetic than uh, than like straight narrative. Yeah, it, it it is very poetic, and and that helps. Uh create give this surrealness to it and make you realize that this isn't in the reality that we're all in this is in in a slightly different uh reality and the characters that he runs across are just are are fascinating and the reason why i think thought maybe at least some of them were in his mind it was how he directs this to where the people just appear in the stretch limo like yeah. you, you know, we we never we never see them actually enter into the car, into the stretch limo, and he's got his security entourage, who almost reacts like even though when he's in the car with someone else, they react like he's the only one in there. Yeah, and more to your point, um, the way that's designed on the inside. It's not like regular limo seat. Um, it's kind of like a weird little throne back there. He can only he can sit in that main seat in the back. It's just like one seat, right? Right. Yeah, it is. It's one seat. He's got all the control panels like next to him. Uh, he's got his own uh, uh, toilet in there. Actually, it's his own like bubble of reality. Yeah, so it's really almost not made for anyone else to be in. <laughs> yeah, it isn't really. I mean, it, we you have other people in there, but no one seems to be able to get uh, comfortable. Um, 
And so you have you have a couple people in the beginning who are in the car with him who are younger folks who are similar to him in that they're just they're they're just the phenom. They're just wicked smart younger guys who kind of represent him when he was that age, when he was starting to be a billionaire. I mean, first he had his partner, and then he had the young kid who just showed up who, uh, you know, worked at his company in some way. And then as you move along, you start to meet these other characters, especially what was interesting is there's female characters in here, and four female characters, and three of them he ends up having some kind of uh, uh, sexual thing with them. Uh, two of them he actually has sex with. Mm. And the one is while he's getting a prostate exam. <laughs> That's the best. That's hilarious. <laughs> that scene is so... I hope... I don't know a lot of people that have seen this movie, and the people I know that have seen this movie don't seem to really like it. I just don't think they see how funny it is. You know? I And, and I... I mean, I I would maybe compare it to something like uh, maybe American Psycho, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's maybe the closest that has come to. I think it's way better than that as far as what it's, you know, what it's doing. But, um, yeah, he's getting <laughs> he gets a his doctor fully examines him once a day. And so um, the doctor has given him a very lengthy that's not how long no the, the, those don't last. take those don't <laughs> prostate exams do not take like a 10 15 minute dialogue but, it, <laughs> but this is cronenberg it is He's gonna make it squishy and uncomfortable and you know do his whole you know cronenberg's kind of clinical yeah. style that he does so well here and pattinson lays right in there <laughs> he and does. uh the, the woman that's like she's basically face to face with him she's sitting down and he's been over sort of in front of her and it almost is like a sex scene <laughs> like it's just well you don't it's hysterical. Re- yeah you don't realize it at, sorry i didn't mean to step i just you don't realize it at first but you hear kind of the crackling of the bottle as she's talking to him and he's looking down, and you realize that she's getting closer, and there is a bit of a odd sex thing happening here between yeah. these two uh, individuals. Uh, everyone in his employment is underneath him, of course, because he's the top guy, uh, you know. And yeah, and he notices it that it, it's the sexual thing, and they have it all the while during his prostate exam, which, yes, he has every day, and his doctor says his uh, prostate's asymmetrical. That's very important. That's a thing to remember. Which, it's a very key moment. Because <laughs> it's Cronenberg. You, you know, yes. if you're going to make... You don't, get, you don't get an anus vision, uh, uh, visual in here, but you do have something involving uh, the <laughs> lower, the lower uh, uh, area of an individual, and it, <laughs> it, it plays a key part in this film because... The reason he has the security entourage, because in this reality, he is a rich guy. There's riots and class riots going on. The president is in town at the same time he's trying to get across town to get a haircut. And there's threats on his life because he's rich, basically. Um, I mean, that, that seemed like the motivation of why someone would want to kill him in this world, isn't it? Is just the fact that... He he is this guy, this rich guy. 
Yeah, he's not like famous or anything. Like people wouldn't necessarily know like who he is if they saw him or whatever. But he's like, you know, he's sort of like um he he's sealing himself off from everybody. Right. So I I I never got the feeling that he was protecting or he was protecting himself because anybody in particular like outside the the limo wanted to kill mm-hmm. him. I really think it, and at one point he even mentions that um it's got like some sort of he tried to soundproof it but it didn't work. Mhm. You know. Yeah, he and, has the discussion about putting the cork in the stretch limo to soundproof it but it didn't work but he still did it. So Yeah. And so uh, yeah, I I think it was it's just sort of um a way to kind of I think originally he set out to just sort of like isolate himself so he just could not he didn't have to see um you know the real world right he could concentrate on this you know the future which is how he deals in because you know the present whatever but he's all about predicting things and so it was a way to keep his mind where it needed to be not on what was necessarily going on outside and uh, essentially what he what he ended up kind of making for himself and i think he realizes that as is as like you said that the things start to deteriorate in the car and the, the world the world around as the riots go uh is that he's basically made a coffin for himself and really needs to get out of there yeah because uh as the film goes on he gets he he is not in the car as much um as he is at the beginning of the film um, because we, we see him in a few more places. He's at a diner with his apparent wife who they've never had sex, um, which she doesn't, it was a weird thing with that one because it, here he has his, apparently his wife, which we find out, we don't find out till like half, a quarter of the way through the film or whatnot that he's actually married, um, and that he probably married just because of the money and his status. Um, but he, he really wants to have sex with his wife and she's not having it. <laughs> uh, well, they don't seem to really, neither of them seem to really know how people are with no, each other. <laughs> right. Well, they're alien because they're both billionaires. They're, they're both yeah. billionaires, even though he, he throws out, well, she's a poet, but she has a rich family. And so she can afford to be uh, eccentric and and just sit and write poetry all day because she can afford it. And she she has as much money. Well, as the movie goes along, she ends up having more money than him. Um, But you're right. Neither one of these two characters. And that's what I loved is when you find out that she's from the same like like, uh, you know, status financially as he. It explains a lot because these two talk and act differently than the other people around them who are not billionaires. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the old class system, you know? If mm-hmm. you, you you keep that money and everybody, you know, the, the whole thing thrives on certain people staying poor and other people staying rich, and rich is marrying rich, and, you know, no one can get a piece of it, you know? And that's, I think that's why it was, it's interesting that they show uh, the funeral for like his favorite hip hop artist at one point. <laughs> I, I just chuckled because that was so out of the blue. It's it's like well, I mean it it is, but it kind of isn't too uh-huh. because um, if you and I I don't you you can't 
it, we say that he's not like directly addressing anything that you could draw your own conclusions, but that's kind of the fun of it too. Yeah. But still, it's pretty obvious that there's a whole thing about capitalism going on here. Oh yeah. And the interesting thing to me of him putting that rapper's funeral in there is that uh, hip hop, uh, a hip hop artist becoming uh, a huge success like that, to mm-hmm. where you know the level of like you know he's got this big. You know, it's a his the guy's funeral is a big deal, but um, with hip hop, that is like the epitome of the American dream. That is literally right. like someone overcoming, you know, institutional racism, all this other all this other horrible stuff, and um, making it big despite all of that. And that's how that whole kind of thing works too. And so that I, I think I thought it was cool that they put that in there, and I can't know this is why. But to me, um, he was in there to kind of like to to represent that sort of thing, you know, in that uh, that part of the I I just feel like that the success of the hip hop is to me the American dream. Yeah, well, it's it is a representation of one of the uh, forms of the American dream. Absolutely. Uh, Actually, that's what's being touched on throughout this film. Now that you mention it with his. Yes, you can interpret a lot of things, but if you do look at it, it is a statement on uh, capitalism, on the American dream, because here we have a billionaire who pretty much did the quote-unquote American dream. He was a smart guy who made some smart investments and suddenly made something of himself and made a, you know he became a billionaire. So he is kind of a product of the American dream, if you look. And yeah, you're right, the hip-hop part uh, is a representation of another uh, storyline of the American dream. And what I love in that scene too, is that you have this guy who here, he, he's a rich status guy, but he loves this hip hop artist. And when he finds out this hip hop artist dies, he actually cries and embraced the hip hop, uh, artist's buddy who came to talk to him. Yeah. It's uh, the first time you see him show any real emotion. Yeah. It, it's about the only time you really see him show any type of real emotion till the end where he uh where we get to the final act where he finally gets to his haircut place um yeah he actually shows some emotion he breaks down and he embraces the guy because uh there is some dialogue in there as well about how someone wanted to commercialize the funeral and and they didn't but someone uh, he dropped a line in there i think of some type of either a, a song or they wanted to do some kind of uh, commercialization of the funeral. Um, yeah. And, and, and they, they didn't end up doing it, but someone tried to you propose that. Yeah. The, you this, and the song that, that they play, and I guess it's supposed to be one of his hits is, um, about Mecca and going to Mecca and, and right. making, which is, you know, a pilgrimage mm-hmm. and you can kind of see, um, you can kind of see, uh, Packer's, trip to this haircut place as a sort of pilgrimage of sorts because um especially once you find out why he had to have his haircut there you know right. so it it may serve to sort of like illustrate why he related so much to this guy even if you know obviously he didn't overcome the same things that that guy did <laughs> well no but uh, but still he in his way related to him yeah he he did um and again we get the riot we get this vision as well because the film opens with a statement about uh i forgot the exact quote something about the rat becomes currency mm-hmm. um and then there was rat uh vision uh, uh imagery 
throughout this whole film. Uh, we got the guys who show up in the, the lunch area throwing the dead rats. There's a lady outside of the stretch limo holding the rat. And if you look in behind you, behind in the background and scenes, there's signs during the low, the, the riot of the quote unquote lower class um, mentioning rats. Uh, yeah. That was the part I, I, I honestly was trying to have a little bit of, of difficulty trying to dissect <laughs> for bat, lack of a better term. Um, with the imagery of the rats, how he was using it here with relation to the phrase, you know, the rats become currency. Uh, I mean, is he talking about the lower class actually becoming the currency? Or, you know, I, I wasn't quite sure where what he was going for with the rats. Uh, I mean, it could have been a literary reference. That's, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I read mostly nonfiction, so sure. I don't know. But to me, I just took it as kind of like, you know, like rat race. You know? Sure. Oh, okay, it yeah, as... it, the big rat race, yeah, sure. Yeah, just kind of like a, a little on the nose. But, you know, there could be something else that I'm <laughs> that's closer to the truth or what he meant. But, yeah, to me, I just, you know, because you always, you know, think of like rats as vermin and eating their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just, you know, so that famous, like the, the top viral video of the decade is that rat with that piece of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> carrying it down the stairs and so yeah i just it's it's like kind of symbolic as mm -hmm. i mean I, I yeah i just think of like you know kind of like rat race and but you know it's also thinking about um cronenberg's time you know his trip around the movie the movie industry yeah and the type of people that he's known and the type mm -hmm. of boardrooms he's been in and the type of deals that he's gotten and the awards that he's been handled you know it's uh it's addressed more so in um, Maps of the Stars, which is his final film and is a probably his closest to comedy that he's ever made. Uh, I'm not trying to derail and talk about that, but it's almost like if you're a fan of stuff like The Brood, it's sort of you, you can jump to Maps to the Stars in a way that I feel like with Videodrome and Existence, you jump to Cosmopolis. Mm -hmm. But I still feel, you know... Cronenberg's a, an observer. That's sort of his role in all the movies is sort of observational. And um, the best way you can tell that here is you don't really necessarily like any of the characters, but you cannot stop watching them and listening to them and waiting to see what they'll do next. <laughs> that is very true. There isn't really an appealing character in here. Um, except, well, maybe the barber. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love those guys. The, the barber and the driver. The uh, driver, that was a great scene. Which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, one other thing besides the uh, rat race, one other recurring theme that comes up is uh, this phrase that comes up, a specter is haunting the world, capitalism, um, which I, I looked up, and apparently it's a takeoff on the opening line in the political pamphlet, the Communist Manifesto. Nice. Which is actually, a specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. Mm -hmm. And here he has, the specter is haunting the world, capitalism. Um, which, it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> so is that Marx? Uh huh? Yeah, that yeah. was Karl okay. Marx. So he takes a variation of Karl Marx, uh, uh, you know, and, and ends up making it, uh, turning it in pertaining to capitalism, which, yeah, is a theme throughout. And, and he has 
Like I said, he has some exploits with various people, including his security officer, one of them, uh, which uh, was interesting uh, because out of the uh, three ladies he ends up having some kind of intimate contact with, their conversation seemed like, I don't know, the most normal. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> Because they're just talking about, he's just talking about, aren't you going to get in trouble with your boss? So what are you going to say? And she's like, well, technically I'm off, you know, now. So, but they're, they're, that, their whole conversation seemed the most real and didn't involve as much business talk as his other two. Like his first romp in the room with an older lady, she's older than him, uh, you know, who he apparently has had a number of rendezvous with. Uh, they talk business. He talks business, like I said, with the one lady uh, while he's getting his prostate examined. And this one, this was just more of the most casual probably conversation he has with any of the female characters. Do you think it was because of where it was in his descent that he had that? Or maybe it was just the person he was with. He could just talk like, you know, casual yeah, well, it, it wasn't like, you know, one of his, like, analysts or consultants or whatever, you know? Yeah. This this was one of the security people, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just, or, she was she was the new, new security person on his detail. Yeah, and so, and it, you know, but I still feel like, even though it is where it is in, in his journey, I think it's where he's, he's trying to become attached, whereas he was a very detached person. At one point, he says to her, uh, has this been interesting for you or is, what is interesting about it's some like thing that mm-hmm. denotes like he's participating, but still not there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's trying to be human. Uh, yeah, but he he recognizes her as someone that is on the outside of his thing. And that's why he asks her that. Right. He's trying to get kind of in touch with that and see yeah. because he's becoming, let's face it, he is losing his status as you know he's no longer going to be the one percent and so it's almost as if he's trying to uh acclimate to a new life (laughs) that he's going to be having very soon um even if his wife does say she will uh help him financially she's going to divorce him uh basically um you know and so we see him go further and then there's this last this last act which he gets to the to the haircut place. Um, well, before he gets to the haircut place, there's a scene with a security guard. Oh, holy shit, that scene. Oh. Holy balls. Here's this guy <laughs> who has stayed by his side throughout this entire thing, made sure he had extra security. The guy, you know, he as far as he knows, this guy's still his boss. And so he ends up just getting out of the car at one point and... Uh, he ends up observing a uh, street basketball game going on, and they're having this discussion, and he asks about the guy's gun. Andrew, what did you make of this scene? It was like, holy crap, so brutal and a little bit out of the blue. Um, yeah, um, I I saw this in the theater, and everyone jumped. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about violence, like having you know its proper moment you know i just this morning watched the new michael bay movie 
And I can't even tell you in 20 minutes how many dead people there were. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, there are just people and parts flying everywhere for 20 straight minutes. And, you know, when when uh, you've got an artist who uh, and I'm not anti Michael Bay, I need to say that I loved every all 20 minutes of what I saw. <laughs> I was very happy about it. Um, but with Cronenberg, you know, he's dealing with, with humanity in a, in a certain way. And yeah. so um, very much like in the history of violence, um, there are some quite shocking uh, violent moments in that. Um, he picks a great moment in the middle or I guess yeah, toward the end of Act 2, maybe beginning of Act 3. Yeah. And... Um, this guy's, you know, showing him his gun and how it's activated, you know, with this word. And he's like, well, how do you activate it? And the guy shows it to him. And then just, he just kills him with his own gun. Blows him in the head. Just bam. It, out of nowhere. <laughs> just, I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, dude, you could have just fired him. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's a very uh, extremely shocking moment. But I, I don't feel it was done for just shock value. I, you know, what did you take it as? I took it as him shedding the last bit of the one percent of himself, the 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 final status, because after that is when he goes to get his haircut, he arrives, and the only people around him anymore are his driver and the haircut guy. He doesn't have his entourage with him. He, he killed his security guard, and I think that was him killing possibly the last part of his old self in, in a way. That's the way maybe I took it, and and I it could be off, but you know I I really think that that having a security guard was maybe his last, uh, you know, a pillar of of him being the billionaire Eric Packer rather than the broke as fuck Eric Packer. <laughs> yeah, and you know he couldn't take him there. No, because, he couldn't. Because what what you where he's going in this journey is he's going back to his childhood. Yeah, he's returning to humanity. He's trying to regain something significant that he's lost. He's trying to become human. That's my whole angle on Cosmopolis. Is it's yeah, it's it's the reverse of of uh, of, a, of Cronenberg's normal movies, and in that way it makes I feel a circle back around to the, where they begin. Um, there's no way he could have, there's no way if, if he's going to complete that journey by getting that haircut and where he's getting it is where he, where he got his haircut as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, he, that security guard cannot accompany him there. No, he, you know, he, he can't. He's cutting, he's cutting the tether and, um, that's how he chose to do it because he's <laughs> that out of touch and, you know, he, what the fuck? Dude, just... <laughs> Oh man, it was so brutal, but it was it was quick, but it was still brutal because he just put the gun under his chin and blew. I mean, and you think maybe okay, he's just going to put it under his chin, you know, and play at it or whatever, you, you know, and, and try it, you know, what that feeling is like to have that. But no, he just goes in and pulls the trigger, and then he tosses the gun towards the two guys playing basketball. They're like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. they weren't even gonna get near that gun. <laughs> 
No, that just shows you how far gone he was yeah. and how out of touch with humanity he'd become. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think there's any better way to illustrate that because you can't see Packer going like, hey, man, it's been cool. I appreciate all you've done for me. Peace. Mm-hmm. He just He's not doing that. He, he wouldn't know how to do that. He doesn't know how people do, you know, he doesn't know how to be a person. That's the whole point of coming there. Is because you know he's he's going back. Yeah, and and then he goes back, and then so you have the haircut guy and the driver of the the stretch limo, and the the driver he's got scars and stuff, and you find out why, and there's this fascinating discussion about driving taxi cab, and it was really interesting because I think during the scene. Uh, Eric doesn't really have much dialogue. Uh, it, it's mostly between the driver and the haircut guy as they talk about what it was like driving cab. And <laughs> what was interesting, and and while we're talking about it, I, I'm thinking of the scene, and I'm like, in a way, these guys, in in some sense, just a little bit, were like Packer in the fact of how they talked about they didn't leave the taxi cab, how they worked consistently and found it hard to leave the cab, just like Eric was in his stretch limo. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool how he's, you know, it's really no different. They even talk about how they pissed yeah. while they drive. Yeah, how they pissed in the car. Uh, you know, suddenly they're talking about some things that were very similar to your one percenter, Eric Packer, doing the exact same thing in his car, which might relate back to what you were talking about, the whole American dream thing, working your way, you know, and, and the car for them was their tool. And for him, in a way, this car was not only his tool, but his, his tomb, Um but yeah, I just I found that whole conversation just fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and they were they were and they were speaking like regular people. Yeah. Which is it's it's interesting to note because up until then, you know, a lot of the conversations have been yeah, just a little little kind of uh I don't know what's the right word for them. They're cadence. They're just, they're, they had yeah. a specific they had a kind of a specific cadence, a beat. <laughs> yeah, they were they were very deliberate. They were yeah. But this is just like a scene, you know, just two old farts. It's great. Oh, yeah. I, I loved that scene. You know, you know what it was? The, the dialogue before that, the people involved, especially Eric Packard and then his wife, Elise, who was played fantastically by Sarah uh, Gaydon, um, they were very meticulous in the words they chose to use to each other, whereas you have the two guys in the barbershop just rolling it off and talking whatever (laughs) you know they're just shooting from the hip whereas it seemed like everybody in eric's world for the most part thought specifically of the words that they were using like they had to think hard to pick specific words rather than have a normal conversation yeah you know and then we get to the final part of this film the the culmination he's had threats so far against his life and we get someone who tries to take his life now that he's at his end of his financial ruin we have he he's at the end uh someone actually tries to shoot at him 
and we have this fantastic end dialogue between him, Eric Packard, and Benno Levin, played fantastically by Paul Giamatti. What did you think of this final scene, how this plays out? It's awesome. It's totally, it's completely awesome. Because you literally have the, you know, the, the asshole boss being confronted by one of his disgruntled employees. That's yeah. basically who he is. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. doesn't even recognize him. He doesn't even know because Jamadi's got a got a towel over his head when he first comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, keep in mind, both of these men have guns in their hands. Yes, it's very important. And so, uh, you know, Pattinson's in there. He's not dumb. He's ready to you know defend himself. He's got the pistol in his hand. So, and Jamadi's all you know, like, you know, uh, do you know who I am? Yeah, and he's like, no. And he takes the towel off his head, doesn't recognize Still, him. still no. <laughs> it is so, so, so the whole corporate crap, the whole thing of just being nobody, a number, just not, just faceless. And uh, I, I just thought it was a great kind of way to illustrate that. But Jamadi, man, I mean, he really, they really play up. You could not have a bigger contrast of two people. No. You couldn't at all between these two uh, because Jamadi just sells the hell out of this guy who's disgruntled. He's just frustrated at this billionaire. And he, 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 part of him wants to kill this guy, but you know, there's also that part of him that realizes that's wrong. And that's why he doesn't just outright kill him because he, he wants to confront him. He, he wants to more than just kill him. He wants to try to get him to understand you know, Ben Benno wants Eric to understand why he's pissed at him. Yeah, and he lives in like this gross hovel. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's just it's he, it's nasty where he lives. It's crazy. He he lives in the basically. It's like he's a squatter. Yeah, you know, he create. They have they have this interesting discussion where they're talking about how did, how did he make his bathroom and he just cut holes in the in the floor beneath this. Uh, makeshift uh, outhouse that's inside his apartment. <laughs> yeah, but you know, realistically, they probably got the same amount of money them two at that point. At that point, they are actually equals. Yeah. Which, again, like you said, important that they both have guns. And then what's interesting is that Eric Packer makes the comment about how uh, Benno has a gun, but his gun's more advanced than Eric's. Eric has a gun of, for lack of a better term, of a common man, whereas mm. the common guy has a really advanced gun. Yeah. <laughs> Yet they're both sitting there, and yeah, you're right. As they're talking, it kind of reality is sitting there going, We are now equals. Yeah. You know? And then it just, it kind of just ends. <laughs> well, you got. You got Eric at one point. Packer is like, you think he's going to shoot himself. Yeah, you think he's going to kill himself because he puts the gun in his mouth. He does, and he's sitting there talking about it. And it, oh, uh, what was great at one point, he mentions the asymmetrical prostate. Oh, yeah. That's, and Jamadi's that, yes. like, oh, mine is too. <laughs> yeah, that's where it comes in because here, uh, Eric Packer, amongst everything else, ever since it's mentioned he has an asymmetrical prostate, he's brought it up to pretty much everybody. He, he, 
is very worried about it because, you know, he sees a doctor every day. So, you know, he's kind of got a little bit of the, uh, you know, um, he, he thinks medical conditions. He's very worried about it. So this asymmetrical thing with his prostate, he thinks is a big deal. And here he comes face to face with the the common worker of his, the disgruntled guy. And he he says, you know, my prostate's asymmetrical. And, and Giovanni's Beto, he just goes, yeah. Mine too. He's like, not a, it's not a big deal. He's like, yeah. it's nothing wrong with it. And it's like reality, just a light turns on in Eric's head suddenly. He's like, really? Yeah, <laughs> but he learned, he's like, you should have learned a lesson from your prostate. He says your prostate was trying to tell you something. You know, you're looking for, um, you know, uh, perfection in in your work or in your you know in the numbers or where the stocks yeah, or whatever in the numbers yeah and he's like you gotta you gotta think of it abstract you gotta you gotta be able to look at things like uh, uh lopsided right you know he's well, like that was where you made your mistake well that is where he made his mistake because they talked about the the stock market in china that he invested in it was completely different from anyone else any other stock market he ever played uh because it moved organically which, yeah. if you dig a little deeper beneath, beneath the surface, now that we're just talking about this, this is why I love having these discussions, uh, we lead back to organic technology. Yeah. <laughs> because they talk about and refer to this uh, stock market in China that he, he that is going to crash, and along with that, all of his billions of dollars. And, yeah, Giamatti comes out, he goes... Your failure was the fact that you invested in something that the, didn't rely on just numbers. It was natural. It had a natural uh, movement to it, like his asymmetrical prostate, in a way that it, it, it was not perfect. It didn't follow a perfect pattern, but it followed a natural pattern because not everything in nature is perfect, but it doesn't mean it's, you still can't you know find good in it. Um, and yeah, <laughs> there's all through the, the wonderful discovery of a prostate, asymmetrical prostate, uh, <laughs> because Cronenberg, uh, you know, we, we don't have our, our anus imagery, but we talk about it quite a bit actually. Yeah. So, so yeah, this film, man, you know, I, but it's not going to be for everyone. You're right. This is right back to kind of his roots of crimes of the future in that it's got this odd, eerie atmosphere to it. This light otherworldliness to it that is not going to jive with someone looking for a straight narrative. No, um, I, 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 but still, and I don't know that I would have advocated to discuss this movie had it not been for the fact that all these other ones had been discussed, mm-hmm. uh, taken by itself, you may dig it because it's a funky movie and there's a lot of room for interpretation, or you might just be like, what is this? <laughs> but viewed in context, if you're a fan of Cronenberg and you've watched them all, but especially I link these movies, Videodrome, Existence, Cosmopolis, it's fascinating because the way Videodrome ends, Max Wren, long live the new flesh, puts a gun to his head, blam, pulls yeah. the trigger. Existence, you got a, you got these the guy going, are we still in the game? And, you know, 
there are two people aiming the guns at him, but there's no shot. Right. And then at the end of Cosmopolis, you got Jamadi's got his gun to Pattinson's head, and it goes to credits. Yeah. I'm. I just. To me, it's so cool to see the evolution of of an artist in this way. And um, as far as people like not liking it, my favorite quote from David Cronenberg, and I may be messing this up, but it's something like that. When it comes to art, uh, the desire to be loved is is death. <laughs> I mean, that takes some nuts to say that when you're somebody whose livelihood depends, depends on people on giving art. you money. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> And liking your stuff. But this man is, you know, he's likely not going to make another feature. Um, and this was near the end of his career at the point where um, he probably didn't know if he was going to make another movie after Cosmopolis. So if this, it feels kind of like an end though, doesn't it? It, it feels like a bookend. Having watched these other films with Cronenberg and we watched most of them uh, chronologically, uh, and just watching how he progressed through the films, and it, like everyone, you take a little side road here and there, but for the most part, for the path he's taken, this does feel like it was his uh, swan song of sorts uh, to it. You know, you, you you could see this being his final film, for sure, the way it's written, the way it's handled. It's like, it's so Cronenberg in its approach, atmosphere, everything, um, except for maybe some, well, you do get some body horror in it here. Yeah. Uh, yeah not... he blo- he pu- he, when you think he's going to shoot himself, he shoots himself in the hand instead. Yeah. And that's another really shocking moment. Cause it's all in one take blow out comes the blood from his hand. And then he gets, you know, he's fully in reality. He's like, he, yeah, he's in the real world now. Yeah. And it even, that even takes, uh, Giamatti's character back. He's like, what yeah. the, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, <laughs> here he thinks the guy might blow his head off. Okay, that's fine. But no, he shoots himself in the head. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, it's great, great moment. It it is, and it is, it is a bookend. And I think if you go into this film like cold or not very familiar with Cronenberg's other films, especially the ones you mentioned, Existence, Videodrome, the uh, if. You know, even Crimes of the Future, uh, which, yes, that's the name of it, folks, not Crimes of the Century. That's a completely <laughs> different film that I've fucked up on multiple times on these episodes, which I apologize for. Crimes of the Future. Um, you, you know, you, you have this just kind of reality that these films are set in, and if you watch those films, going into this, you can see where it would fit nicely into pretty much the main bulk of his stories that he's done. Yeah, it does. And also by directly addressing, I feel, uh, the class system Mm -hmm. and showing how, you know, we cannot live apart from one another. It isn't going to work. We have to work together if we're going to survive. This whole setup between the rich and the poor, it just, it's doomed. And, Mm -hmm. um, Cronenberg's work seems to be all about, you know, uh, the relationship of the body and technology, but it really is about humanity and the nature of it. And that I feel is what he's explored through his entire thing. And some people argue that he's got like this weird sort of like 
outside observer clinical almost rubber glove approach to looking at people but i i disagree uh, look no further than you know the amount of like gore and body stuff that's in the movie it's really messy it's really in there and i feel it's organic is a great word human's a great word and so i feel like that's the whole thing that he's been doing i think he really has been sort of exploring that relationship and i feel like if you wanted to see Cosmopolis as being like his most on the nose, you've got <laughs> it basically at this guy's window. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, he's even hit. He, I mean, we've talked about it before with, you know, we've seen it in shivers and rabid. We saw it in, in crimes of the future. We've seen it. There is this underlying, you know, statement about, class or system or groups of individuals who might be you know different than the other and, and you're right humanity he's exploring these things in his own way in a way that may not be exactly palatable to people but that's at its core what he's looking at and you're right this is very on the nose of his statement on the class system and it's kind of a showing too that you know you guys who are billionaires you could lose it in an instant and then what are you going to do yeah you know who are you going to be then yeah you, you know if you would broke tomorrow and that's what this film kind of overarching is if you look at it uh just on the surface if you went broke tomorrow after you were a multi-billionaire who would you be who who are you still after you've made your billions? Are you still the guy who's getting the haircut at the local place? Or are you the cold, you know, meticulously speaking billionaire still, even when you don't have no money, no mo? Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey with these films and uh, we'll wrap it up here tonight. And I, I want to thank you for going along with most of these episodes and all my other crew who have done this and all you listeners out there who have stuck with these. I've gotten a lot of great feedback about these Cronenberg episodes um, because it, it is, he is a fascinating director. I mean, really, if, if you were going to uh, describe Cronenberg, Andrew, and this, I uh, will kind of wrap it up for the night. We, we, we've watched all these different films. It, it, someone asks you, uh, you know, what could I expect from a Cronenberg film? I mean, it's it's relatable. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're very very human. That's what I that's what I think, and I, I feel like if you can't uh, recognize that when you watch one of them, my advice is to watch them again mm-hmm. and again and again <laughs> because the experience will be different every single time and. Um, really a great way to watch them is exactly the way that you have just in order and, and i would agree I'm, I'm glad to watch them in order because uh as he uh changed and matured and did various different things in his creativity and his his projects you can still see parts of himself still in there and then you can kind of see him as we've discussed in the past episodes kind of how he went commercial for a little while and then he kind of brought it back to where he started you know with crimes crimes of the future um and you can kind of see that if you watch watch his films and and kind of pay attention and yeah uh you're right these 
his movies are definitely uh, about humanity, about oneself. They are very intimate. The body horror makes this very intimate with the self, <laughs> the body. The, the, it, by making the body horror, I think it helps really click maybe with the audience and and you go holy crap i have an arm he's got an arm <laughs> but you know his arm suddenly has changed oh my god you know or, or yeah y- y- you know in that in that regard cosmopolis is the ultimate because it's almost all faces yeah oh it is like yeah. every shot pattinson is in every single shot He's in, or if not that, he's in every single scene. He, he's you know, in, he's in at least every single scene, and it's always his face you see in the forefront. Everybody, you're right, now that you mention it, everybody in this movie almost seems like they're leaning just a little bit forward. The way he shoots it, you see their face. Even even in the, um, well, in the, the one, the first love scene, and a couple of them, you kind of see the back, but still, the main focus is the face, the head, where the discussion's yeah. happening. You don't really see the rest of their body. Yeah, so um, he's gotten as close to people in this movie uh, than he's gotten ever before, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, I would I would agree as well. So so there you have it folks. We are uh, we are closing the books on our Cronenberg special and leaving Cronenberg one last time. And we'll do as we always do with each one of these episodes, and we'll do it here, even though we kind of gave a summary of Cronenberg. We're still, well, as we leave Cosmopolis, what is one thing that you take away from uh, with the, from Cosmopolis as we leave Cronenberg, Andrew? Uh, do not take surface streets. Always back road. <laughs> yes, that's right. And uh, I take away from it, uh, even when someone asks you, never give away the activation code for your gun. Just, 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 just don't just, just say you use a code word and I'd rather not give it. Just, just don't it, it be safe folks. <laughs> play it, play it safer that way. So. <laughs> Make the activation code for your gun, an ear piercing scream. Yes. <laughs> the police will hear. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so there you have it, and now this is where I give uh, the part of my show where my guest has the license to shill, so please, Mr. Shearer, shill away. Oh, hey, thanks, Mark. This has been wonderful. I love talking about this movie with you, as I did with all of the other ones. Um, for those of you who are interested in um, buying some crazy independent underground movies from me, I make them. And I got them for sale. Go to gonzorific.com, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. My new release in 2019 is called Bad Girl Dracula. It is a worthwhile investment, and uh, currently um, it is not available in any other format. It is not yet on streaming. We're giving people opportunity to see it first by buying the physical copies. So think about it. Nice. Sweet. Well, uh, thank you very much, sir. And now uh, I think we'll just hop into our stretch limo and say good night, everyone. Asymmetrical, everybody. Get asymmetrical. Asymmetrical. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's get asymmetrical, motherfucker. Hey, baby, you want to get asymmetrical? (laughs) 
Hey, uh, you want to see my asymmetrical prostate? <laughs> Shit. I thought you was going to let me see the B symmetrical. Got more holes. <laughs> hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups at SMPRD and on to Twitter at SpecialMarkPro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies.